Today we're excited because we're starting a brand new series of messages today. So, so you're in the right place this morning. And uh, we're starting a, a series of messages that we're called FFTF, Faith for the Future. And uh, we're excited to be talking about the future that God has for us individually and collectively as a church. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word this morning. And you can find a seat today. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. I want to encourage you to grab it and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And that Bible is our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that. And we want to make sure that everyone can follow along today. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to start reading in verse number 14. If you are there in your spot and have Ephesians 3.14, would you say amen? All right. Verse number 14, the Bible says this. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. How many of you believe that verse this morning? Verse 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without it and amen. Today for a few minutes, I'd like to speak to this subject anything is possible anything is possible let's have a word of prayer together this morning god thank you so much for this day that you've given us lord thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you god we believe that you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise that you deserve all the honor in our lives and god i pray that for the next few minutes as we look to your word lord i pray that you would just give us a holy focus for this moment lord i pray that you would uh, fill me with the spirit to give me the words uh, to say lord that would be exactly what we need lord i pray that as we consider the future that you have for us lord that we would walk by faith and that we would trust you each and every step of the way and we love you in jesus name and everybody said today I remember when I was in elementary school, my family went on a vacation to Disney World. And this was one of those trips and one of those memories that is just embedded into my mind. And I remember going to Disney World and just loving every second of it. And I remember riding all of the different rides. And I'll never forget what my favorite ride was at Disney World. It was not the Tower of Terror. It was not Space Mountain. It was not uh, the Indiana Jones ride and experience. My favorite ride at Walt Disney World was the Carousel of Progress. How many of you have ever been on the Carousel of Progress? Okay, some people 
I don't know why think that that is a boring ride, but I think that it is innovating and beautiful and a wonderful journey throughout uh, history and the ages. And uh, now that I'm an adult, I-, I like to go on the carousel of progress simply because it has air conditioning. You can kind of just sit still for 20 minutes and, and watch the show. But if you've never been on the carousel of progress, basically what you do is you go on a journey from a home that's in the 1920s and you can see how they lived and how they operated and what they would do. And then it took you on a journey to a home in the 50s and then all the way to a a futuristic home. And I loved uh, looking at that futuristic home and kind of imagine, imagining what the home would look like in the future. Now, you might think that the Carousel of Progress is a boring ride, and uh, Rakia tends to laugh a little bit harder when I mention that. But I want you to know that according to some of his closest friends, uh, they believed that this was the favorite ride of Walt Disney himself, the Carousel of Progress. And they said uh, this, he had one foot in the past, because he loved the nostalgia, and he had one foot in the future because he loved new technology. And so Walt, he loved this carousel of progress. And I remember just being convinced, being a young young elementary student, that by 2010, that we would have flying cars and robotic dogs, and and, uh, we would just have it all. Uh, The future turned out a little bit different than I expected. You know, sometimes as we consider the future in our lives, the thought of the future can be intimidating. It can be overwhelming at times. You know, what will my life look like in five years or in 10 years? What will my family look like? What will my financial situation be like? What will our country look like? What will my marriage look like? Uh, The future can be an intimidating thought. And typically when it comes to the future, uh, we are very interested in the particulars and the details. Have you noticed this? We want to know who, what, when, where. We want to know the details. But I believe that when it comes to our future, that God is less interested in us knowing the details, and he is more interested in us knowing his heart. Because if we can understand his heart through his word, we will understand then his way. Uh, The only way that we can truly understand understand the path that God has for us is if we are grounded in the principles of God's word. In fact, the Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse number 104, through thy precepts, everybody say thy precepts. These are the commands, the instructions of God. Uh, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so if you want to understand God's path for your future, you have to understand the principles and the precepts of his word. Uh, In other words, it is always his word that will illuminate his way. And so often we want to know his way without knowing his word. And I love how this verse talks about he will illuminate, he will light our path. And uh, just to kind of illustrate this for a second, can we turn off these stage lights for a second? And uh, it gets real uh, dark up here on the stage, on the cameras, it's very dark. And and often as we traverse through life and as we consider the future, uh, it can be uncertain. It can be as though we're walking through the dark. And when we're walking through the dark, we are susceptible to danger. I want to make sure that I know where I'm walking. I want to make sure that I know where the edge is. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, I am safe as I'm walking through the unknown. But I love that the Bible says in Psalm 119 that his word is a lamp unto my feet. And uh, I brought with me this little flashlight. And um, when we are walking through the darkness, I'm thankful that uh, we have a light that will illuminate our path. And uh, did you notice how the verse said that it's a lamp unto our feet? It didn't say it's a lamp for everything. We would like to know all the details, but he's going to reveal to us the next steps. It's a lamp unto uh, my feet. And often as we are 
traveling through the darkness and considering the unknowns of the future, we can be overwhelmed, we can be discouraged, but can I just remind you today that the light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it, that Jesus is the light of the world, and when we are walking according to his word, he will illuminate his way. And uh, thank you, we can get the lights back on this morning. And so I'm so thankful today that God promises to illuminate our path and, and to guide us and direct us in the future that he has for us. And by the way, the future that God has for you is the best possible plan for your life. Sometimes we think that, man, uh, the future that God has for me might be less fun. It might be something that's less exciting. But Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah 29 verse number 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected and to give you a great future, to establish good plans for you, just like the song we sang this morning, that he has good plans for us. Now, we come to Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul is going to address this subject. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. This is modern-day Turkey. And he is writing to a group of believers in a church that he started uh, back in Acts chapter 19. If you want to read about the origin of the church at Ephesus, you can read Acts chapter 19. Now, by the time we get to Ephesians chapter 3, this is about 10 years later, and Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell uh, to the church. And so Paul's writing this letter, and many commentators break down the book of Ephesians by establishing the fact that the first three chapters are very theological and doctrinal by nature. The last three chapters of Ephesians are more practical by nature. Here's what you should do in light of what you believe. But right uh, at the end of chapter 3, before he goes into the practical section, what Paul does here is he prays a beautiful, magnificent prayer. And I believe that we ought to lean into this prayer to see what Paul has to say. It's a prayer specifically for the church. And so as the Apostle Paul is praying, he's praying for the future of the church. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that I've been praying this week. The, the, the verses that we just read, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, are actually a prayer for the church. And so uh, Paul is praying uh, for the church with passion. Uh, there was a movie several years ago with Sandra Bullock and uh, George Clooney. It was called Gravity. And it's about two astronauts that go in space and uh, they get lost in space, which is like my greatest fear if I ever just lost floating in space. Okay. And so if I ever get a free trip to go to space, I'm probably not going to take it. Uh, but in this movie, uh, they feel as though that they are about to die. Uh, they're just floating out in space. And in the movie, uh, Sandra Bullock, her character says this, I'm going to die. Everybody dies, but I'm going to die today. No one will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. I've never prayed. Nobody ever taught me how. And I thought that was an interesting statement that's often indicative of our culture today. And thank, thankfully for us that Jesus, time and time again, he taught us how to pray. And that in scripture we have examples of how we can pray. And this is a beautiful prayer that Paul is praying for the church. And this is what he's praying for. He's praying that the church would dream a little bit bigger. He's praying that the church would love a little bit stronger. He's praying that the church would grow a little bit deeper. And I believe that as we consider the faith uh, that we have for the future, what we need to do is dream a little bit bigger. What we we need to do is love a little bit stronger. What we need to do is grow a little bit deeper. And so in this prayer, I believe we have a template of how we can pray and how we can have faith for the future. Now, if you're taking notes today, I want to give you a couple of things to jot down. And as we consider Paul's prayer for the church, there are three absolute musts for the future of Rock Hill Church. Are you interested in what those are? There are three absolute musts. For the future of Rock Hill Church. I want you to see the first one today. Number one is this. We must be empowered for service. We must 
be empowered for service. Paul's going to talk about how if we're going to be effective in ministry, we have to be empowered for ministry. A lot of times today, people want to talk about being effective in ministry, but we are missing the power of the Holy Spirit behind us. And so Paul's going to talk about being empowered for service. Now, notice verse number 14, as we are going to navigate through this text together, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready. Notice verse number 14. The Bible says this, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, for this cause, everything that I've written about up to this point, I bow my knees up before the Father. Now, this is interesting because this is not the typical position of prayer for a Jewish person. In this time period, the typical posture for prayer was to be standing in an upright position, many times with your hands extended. And so uh, today, if you were to visit uh, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, what you would find are the Jewish people praying in a standing upright position. But here Paul says, I bow on my knees. What this was was a sign of desperation and a sign of humility. That he's saying, I really want the church. I am pleading God on behalf of the church enough that I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to be desperate and hungry for an answer from the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this about prayer. He said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. This is what I believe in this series as we consider faith for our future. What we need more than ever are some men and women at Rock Hill Church that would be desperate enough, that would be humble enough to fall on our knees before a holy God, extend our hands in worship, and ask God to do what only God can do. It's not about us. It's all about him. Psalm 95, verse number 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. This gives us a proper perspective on prayer, that prayer is not just like a spiritual pinata that we just kind of try our luck and hopefully some nice things will fall from heaven. Prayer is worship before a holy God. Come, let us uh, bow and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. And so Paul, he bows in prayer. He's praying. And I want you to see the first two prayer requests that Paul has for the church. Now, this is something that's really fascinated uh, uh, me this week as I've considered the Apostle Paul. What was he praying for the church to experience? What did Paul want the church to know? Two things, two prayer requests that I see in verses 15 and 16. Notice verse 15. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. There he's just talking about all those who have believed in the past, the present, and the future, those that are on earth, on earth those that are in heaven, uh, the, the family of God, verse 16, that he would grant you, these are the two prayer requests that Paul wants to be granted for the church, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And so the first prayer request is this. I want you to experience the riches of his glory. Sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, uh, we are uh, unaware uh, of the riches and, and uh, the resources that are available to us, that God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness, but often we don't take advantage. The spiritual riches of his glory. Uh, back in the early 1900s, there was a lady named Henrietta Green, and uh, she was a very wealthy businesswoman, multimillionaire. Uh, she died and left an estate worth over $100 million, but she was not a very nice person. Uh, in fact, she was known as the Witch of Wall Street uh, because she was kind of just a shrewd businesswoman. She was sharp. She was uh, mean at times, and she lived very frugally. 
She lived a very frugal lifestyle, and she would never spend money even though she had it. And uh, she wouldn't even heat up her oatmeal because it cost too much money to heat up her oatmeal. Uh, at one time, her son needed surgery, but she didn't want to pay for the surgery, and her son had to have his leg amputated because she didn't want to pay for it, even though she had so uh, many resources. She was very wealthy, but she lived like she was poor. Tragically, here's what's happening in the church. We have so many riches in high places in Christ Jesus, and yet we are living spiritually poor. That God has granted us and blessed us with everything that we need, all the resources available through the promises of God's word, through the indwelling power of the spirit, through the power of the local church together. We are blessed in so many ways, and often we are not taking advantage of the blessings that God has given us. And so Paul is praying for the church that they would experience the riches of his glory. In fact, he makes a very important distinction in that little phrase. I want you to see it in verse number 17, 16. Are you still with me today? He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. According to the riches of his glory. Rakia, would you come up here for a second and help me with, let's give it up for Rakia this morning. Now, what Paul is praying for the church is that they would experience the riches according to the riches of his glory, not from the riches of his glory. Okay, there's a distinction that I want you to see. Now, uh, let's say that Rakia was in real financial distress and she really needed some help. And you're going to have to use your imagination for the next part, but let's just pretend with me for a second, okay, that I am a billionaire, okay? So just use your imagination. Wouldn't that be great, Rakia, if I was a billionaire? And uh, let's say that I had a billion dollars. And Rakia said, Matt, I really am struggling. I could use some financial assistance. And I said, all right, Rakia, I'm, I'm going to be a blessing for you. And uh, you know what? I have a crisp $5 bill right here, and I'm going to give you $5, okay? Now, that would be a blessing, wouldn't it, Rakia? Sure. Yeah, sure, uh, $5. Now, that would be me as a billionaire giving from my riches. It's coming from me. It's my $5, but I'm going to give it to Rakia. It's coming from my riches. But that's not me giving according to my riches, See, according to my riches would be me saying, oh, Rakia, you're struggling. I'm a billionaire. Let me give you a million dollars. That would be in proportion to the riches that I have. And see, this is what Paul is saying, that when you are praying and talking to God, that he wants to bless you according to his riches in glory. When you are praying, never forget who you're praying to, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that there is nothing too hard for him, that he has everything that you need to live a life of godliness. And he promises to bless us according to his riches in glory. Thank you so much. I need that $5 for the next service, but I'll give it to you then. Let's give it up for Rakia this morning. <laughs> Ephesians 3.8 says this, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, uh, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, that God has blessed us in so many ways. And, and so he talks about the riches, giving uh, according to the riches of his glory. But there's another phrase that I want you to see in verse number 16. It says this, To be strengthened with might, by his spirit in the inner man. Now, please hear me today and don't miss this because this verse at the end of verse number 16, this is what the Christian life is all about. This is everything. If you're wondering what the Christian life is about and how you should function uh, according to following Jesus, this is what it's all about. This is how you have a great marriage. Uh, this is how you can raise up children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, this is how you can experience spiritual growth. This is how you can conquer anxiety. It's all found in verse number 16. Notice what he says. And be strengthened 
with might by his spirit in the inner man. In other words, it's not about us trying so hard in our own strength to get victory. It's not about us trying so hard to get victory over anxiety and victory over sin and doing our best to accomplish some sort of human level of success. It is our job to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and to experience his power, his strength, and his might within us. And as a church, if we are going to experience the future that God has for us, it's not just simply about being effective in ministry. It's about being empowered in ministry. It's not by strength. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so we have to recognize today that if we're going to move forward in the calling that God has for us, we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Did you notice strengthened by his might in the inner man? Did you notice that in the inner man? We live in a culture that puts a premium on the external what things look like, how things appear, how many likes we get, uh, all the rest, the external. But he says, I want you to experience strength on the inside, the inner man. In fact, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, our outward man is perishing. Have you noticed this today? Can anybody relate? Our outward man is perishing. Like I watched that teen camp recap video and I just thought, thank goodness that I didn't have to play in those games. I'd be sore for three weeks after that. You know, the outward man uh, is certainly perishing. We can all feel and see the effects of that. The outward man may perish, but yet the inward man is renewed day by day that we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God within us. Can I tell you some great news today? The moment that you prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, those three teenagers that prayed to accept Christ this week at camp, the people that prayed to accept Jesus Christ in the 830, the early service today, at that moment of salvation, they were indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit took up residence inside of them. That means that everything that you need is within you, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. This is something that in the Old Testament, they had a hard time wrapping their minds around. The prophet Ezekiel said, there's coming a time when the Spirit of God is going to dwell in you. And they they thought, how could this be? Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And will I take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give uh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, watch this, I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Now, this was something astounding for the children of Israel because they were accustomed to the Ark of the Covenant. They knew the presence of God and the Spirit of God dwelt there. They were accustomed to the tabernacle. They knew that the Spirit of God dwelt there. But there's coming a time when the Spirit of Almighty, Holy God is going to dwell in me. Uh, This was the mystery of the Old Testament revealed in the New Testament. Romans 8, verse number 9, that says this, But you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And so today uh, we have to recognize that we must be praying and asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to use us and to guide us and to instruct us in righteousness. Woodrow Kroll said this, with the power of God within us, we need never fear the powers around us. And I'm thankful for that promise today. Notice verse 17, that Christ may dwell in in your hearts. The word dwell there carries the idea of ruling and reigning and, and permanence. So, so in other words, don't just invite Christ into your life. Allow him to be in charge of your life. Don't just say, yeah, I'll invite Jesus in and then do whatever I want. No, if you're going to invite him in, he is Lord of your life. He, he, he's going to dwell in your hearts by faith. And so number one, we must be empowered for service. Here's the second thought today. Are you ready for number two? 
we must be edified by God's love. We must be empowered for service, and we must be edified by God's love. I find it so fascinating that the one thing that Paul really wanted to make sure that the church understood, and the one thing that, they, that he could communicate and pray for, was that the church would experience the love of God. Out of all the things that you could be praying for, for the future of the church, Paul says, I just want to pray that the church would experience and be edified by God's love. Now, if anyone should have known already about God's love, it was the church at Ephesus. In fact, I would venture to say that many of you walking in these doors today, or many of you watching online today, you know that God loves you. At least you've been told that God loves you. But Paul wanted them to know it at a deeper level, not just intellectually, but experientially and personally, that God loves you. Many people know God loves them like, like someone that would go and take a driver's education course, but they've never driven a car. That they have some information, but they don't have the experience. And Paul says, I want you to know how much God loves you. And today, I believe that if you are looking for encouragement, these are some of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible, where Paul is just reminding the church about the love of God. By the way, it's good for us to sing about God's love. It's good for us to be reminded about God's love. It's good for us to pause and to consider how much God loves us, because it changes everything in our lives when we do. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 143, verse number 8, cause me to hear, I need to hear, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know thy way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. Do you see how he was praying? I, I need to know about God's love and it'll lead me in the right path that God has for me. Now, I want to talk about God's love for a minute, and I want to talk about it in three ways, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. Uh, the first thing that I see in the text is that we are secured by God's love, that we are secured by God's love. In fact, notice verse number 17. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen. Verse 17, it says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, watch this, being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an agricultural term. Uh, grounded is an architectural term. Both carry the same idea of having a strong foundation, that you would have stability and a strong foundation being rooted and grounded in love. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said uh, about this verse, two expressions are used. Rooted, like a living tree which lays, upon, uh, lays hold upon the soil, twists itself around the rocks and cannot be upturned. Grounded, like a building which has been settled as a whole and will never show any cracks or flaws in the future through failures in the foundation. Many Christians today, they're wavering, they're drifting, they're discouraged, they're being, they're being led away by insecurity, they're being led away by anxiety, and it's because we haven't paused long enough to really consider how much God loves us. Because when you know how much God loves you, it will weed out insecurity in your life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our family was on vacation and one of the things that we did was go zip lining uh, on vacation. And uh, how many of you have ever been zip lining before? Okay, a few of you. I brought a video of my son Luke zip lining. Hi, Luke. No hands. He was just chilling up there. And he was just having a great time. And one thing that I thought was very interesting about this zip lining course was that the entire time, no matter where you were on the course, you were tethered in to the main line. And I've done zip lining at other places where you land on the platform and they unhook you and then you walk around, you hook up to a next one. But at this, at this course, the entire time you were on the course, you were always tethered into that line. And so if you were to slip, you'd be tethered in. If you were to fall, you'd be tethered in. If you wanted to just jump, you would always be tethered in so you couldn't really fall. Can I tell you that as you navigate the Christian life, there will be times when you fall 
There will be times when you slip up. There will be times when you make mistakes. But can I tell you and encourage you today that you will always be tethered to the love of God and that nothing can separate you from his love. No height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power. Uh, You will always be connected to the love of Jesus and that he has for you. And so we are rooted and grounded in God's love. And so we don't have to live our lives constantly vacillating and constantly on an emotional roller coaster and good days and bad days. Uh, We can have stability that we need when we consider God's love. We're tethered to his love. There is security in his love. But then secondly, we are surrounded by God's love. So not only are we secured by his love and there's stability there, but now we're surrounded by God's love. I want you to see what it says in verse 18. It says this. In verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. No matter where you go, you cannot outrun the love of God. that you are surrounded by the multidimensional love of God, that, that he is hammering this point home, that we are surrounded. Charles Spurgeon said this, in this measurement, may you and I be skilled. If we know nothing of mathematics, may we be well-tutored scholars in this spiritual geometry and be able to comprehend the breadths and the lengths of Jesus's precious love, that God's love is wide enough to include every person, that God's love is long enough to last all of eternity, that God's love is deep enough deep enough to reach the worst sinner, and that his love is high enough to take us all the way to heaven. Aren't you thankful today that we are surrounded by his love? The height, the depth, the width, the length of God's love. So we're surrounded. But also, thirdly, we are stretched by God's love. So we're secured, we're rooted and grounded by his love, but we're also stretched by his love. Uh, that, That the love of God should produce something in us and spur us to action. Okay, I want you to see it in verse 18. Verse uh, 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. In other words, we can't ever fully comprehend the amazing love of God. It's indescribable. He says it passes knowledge that you might be filled. Everybody say filled. filled. Filled with all the fullness of God. And so what does this mean? That we're filled with the fullness of God. Well, let me uh, let you in on a little secret. Anytime in the New Testament that you see the word filled or full, It's always carrying the same idea. It means total domination. It means that you are totally yielded to, totally dominated by something. For example, when the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit, it means that we are totally controlled and dominated by the Spirit of God, that we're going to yield to the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says that Stephen in Acts chapter 6 was a man full of faith, that means that his life was completely dominated by trust, that he constantly was putting his trust and faith in God. And so it always means total domination. And so what this means, that we're going to be filled with the fullness of God, is that mean, it means that we are allowing our lives to be fully dominated by the one true living God, that we are yielding our lives to him, that we are stretching ourselves to walk in spiritual maturity that the love of Christ has come to us and it's developing in us, it's maturing us uh, to experience the fullness of God and in so doing, it's stretching us and motivating us to action. Uh, the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The love that has come to you should then go through you. You want to know a good uh, test that you are being edified by God's love? is if you are exemplifying God's love. 
If you're walking in God's love, a great test of that is if you are showing and demonstrating the love of God to other people. And can I just tell you, as we consider the faith, uh, our faith for the future of Rock Hill Church, what we need to do more than ever is to increase in love and love our neighbor as ourselves and go out to the highways and hedges and recognize that there are people in Rancho Cucamonga and Ontario and Upland that they need to know about the love of Jesus, that we have something to say and that we can share our faith with those around us. And so we are secured by God's love. We're surrounded by God's love. We're stretched by God's love. And this leads us to our third and final thought today, our our third must today. Number three is this. We must be expecting greater things. We must be empowered for service. We must be edified by God's love. And we must be expecting greater things. When When my children were little, we would take them to a place called LOL Kids Club. Any parents know what LOL Kids Club is? Okay, LOL Kids Club is like a little uh, gymnasium with ball pits and, and slides and different things for young children to do. And it's like the best place ever for young kids, but it's like uh, a parent's worst nightmare to go into LOL Kids Club. Nothing is clean and sanitized. And, and uh, But my kids love to go into LOL Kids Club. And uh, I remember one day we were going to surprise our kids one summer and take them to Disneyland, but we didn't tell them where we were going to go. So we got in the car and we said, we have a surprise for you. And they said, are we going to LOL Kids Club? And we said, no, we're not going to LOL Kids Club. And we told them we weren't going to LOL Kids Club. They all got very disappointed. Uh, they just kind of looked down like, ah, oh, man. And they had no idea what we had planned for them was so much better than LOL Kids Club a full day at Disneyland. See, here's what is happening spiritually so often, is that we have our spiritual sights on LOL Kids Club, and God has something so much better in store for us. And as a church, my exhortation for us today, my prayer request for Rock Hill Church is that we would start expecting and believing greater things from our God, that we would start expecting God to do something miraculous in our midst. Hudson Taylor said, expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. We can say that we're expecting God to do great things, but are we attempting great things for God? Are we just saying something that we're not practicing in our lives? Now, Paul is going to challenge the church in this very area to expect greater things, to increase our faith. And as we close today, I want us to see it. Notice verse number 20. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Uh, As we close today, would it be okay if I just broke down that verse by three questions? Three questions I want us to consider as we close. Question number one. What can God do? Think about that question. What can God do in our future, in your future, in your family, in our church? What can God do? Well, Paul answers this question for us in verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, notice how each word builds upon one another, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think or even imagine. Can I tell you that God can do more in response to one prayer than we can in a hundred years of planning? One prayer that God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. See, the true test of your theology is not just in what you say, but it's in how you pray. Are we praying for greater things? Are we believing that God can do greater things? What can God do in our midst? Can I tell you today? He can do anything. 
Can I tell you today that no one is too far gone that cannot be reached or touched with the love of God? Can I tell you that he can restore any marriage? That he can bring back any wayward child? That he can certainly provide a building for our church's future? I just happen to believe that the God that we worship is all-powerful and that there is nothing that is too hard for our God, that he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so what can he do? He can do anything. So what can God do? He can do anything. Here's the second question that I want us to consider. How will he do it? How's God going to do this? Well, notice verse number 20. The end of the verse says this. According to the power that worketh in us. Isn't it amazing that God can do anything and that God can do the miraculous and he desires to use us? He wants to use us, imperfect, messed up, broken people that God has a desire to use us. God can use whatever means he wants. He, he can use angels. He can use his own power. But he chooses to use weak humans for his glory according to the power of his spirit that works in us. God wants to use us. I was reading recently about this uh, Japanese art form called golden joinery. And they will take broken pots and ceramics and bowls and that are all broken up into pieces. And they will piece them back together using gold. And so it takes something that is broken with no value, fixing these cracks with gold, making something extremely valuable. It's a beautiful picture of the grace of God at work in our lives, that we are just broken and messed up people. But when we are placed in the hands of the potter, when we are placed in the hands of God, that he can take what is broken and what is messed up and what is ugly, and he can transform it into something beautiful. And so God wants to change the world. God wants to see people saved. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he wants to use us. Can I tell you, Rock Hill, that God can do something great in our midst and he can provide a building, but he's going to use the faith of his people. He's going to use the generosity of his people. He's going to use the sacrifices of his people. And so uh, what can God do? He could do anything. How will he do it? He's going to use us, that we have a role to play, that we have a part to play. And here's the third question that I want us to consider. Why will he do it? Why will God do something, I believe, something great? And why is the future bright? For Rock Hill Church. Well, notice verse 21. Unto him be glory in the church. Can I tell you why Rock Hill Church exists? We exist for one purpose, to give glory to God. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honor. He deserves all the worship. That's why we were created. Just like a fish was created to swim and a bird was created to fly, we were created to give glory to God. That is our true north. And as soon as we get distracted from that mission, we've lost sight of what uh, God created us for because we were created to give glory to God. And I believe that more disciples gives God more glory. And so we want to reach more people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Now, uh, today, uh, perhaps you're here and you're somewhat new to Rock Hill. Maybe this is your first time or second time and we're talking about faith for our future as a church, I want to encourage you that Paul's primary concern for the church is that they would experience and know the love of God, to know God's love. And if we're gonna know God's love, we have to look at the cross where the love of God was displayed for us. In Romans chapter five, it says, but God commendeth his love. Uh, the word commendeth means to demonstrate, to show that in Romans 5, God commendeth, he showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
even when we were in the very act of sin, even though we were messed up people, that Christ died for us. That God knew that we were sinners and yet he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to live a perfectly sinless life without sin, going to the cross to die in your place and to die in my place on the cross to be that perfect substitutionary payment to offer the forgiveness for us so that we might have new life in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that Jesus died on the cross demonstrating his love, but aren't you thankful that three days later, Jesus conquered sin, death, and the grave, and he rose again and is alive and victorious today. And he did it all because he loves you. Maybe today you feel unlovable. Maybe you feel as though your mistakes are holding you back and you feel as though uh, you can't be used in a great way by God. And today Paul is reminding the church and we are reminded from Ephesians 3 how much God loves us. There is no height, nor depth, nor width that can separate us from God's love. Now, for those of us that call Rock Hill home, we're going to be in this series for the next several weeks, FFTF, Faith for the Future. And we're going to be praying for a future building that God has for us. We're gonna be expecting uh, to do, for God to do some great things. And as you leave today, you'll notice on the wall, there's gonna be a board that says FFTF. How many of you saw it on the way in today? Anybody? We have a picture today. And on this board, it's a metal board with magnets. And what we wanna do is we want to use this board as a reminder to pray for God to do something special. You know, I was reading about the life of Tim Keller this week and Tim Keller passed away recently who gave his life to the ministry and to writing and, and uh, preaching the gospel. And when he retired, he was doing an interview and someone asked Pastor Tim Keller, do you have any regrets in your ministry? And right away he said, yes, uh, without really pausing, yes. And he said, I wish that I would have prayed more. I wish I would have prayed more. And as a church, I want us to prioritize prayer. Let's put that picture back up again. Each one of these magnets is going to represent a prayer for a future building for Rock Hill Church. If you pray and you uh, have a moment to pause and pray and ask God to provide a future home, you can put a magnet on that board. The next, this little uh, uh, guide down here uh, talks about if you pray with a friend, you can put a magnet on that board. Uh, there's something great about coming together and praying collectively as the body of Christ. That yes, we can pray individually, but we can pray together and ask God to do something great. Uh, one uh, talks about praying with the family. If you pray with your family, put a magnet on the board. If you pray with a coworker, you can put a magnet on the board. And what we wanna do is we wanna populate this board with prayers. Because can I tell you that every prayer counts? And we want to have a visual rep representation of the heart of our church family that's, that's praying and pleading and like Paul, willing to get on our knees in humble desperation and ask God to do only what God can do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.